Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the Powerful People podcast. Before we get into the episode, listeners should be warned we do discuss issues such as cancer, mental illness, suicide and substance abuse. If any of this might be a trigger for you, reconsider listening to this episode or listen to it with a trusted person. Information for where you can get help will be provided in the show notes. Hi guys, and welcome to the very first episode of the Powerful People podcast. My name is Beck, and here virtually with me today is the one and the only Gillian Gould. I met Gillian when we were volunteering together at the Green Monkey in Laos. We worked on the childcare project together in Vientiane before we traveled to Luang Prabang. And then a month or so later, we met up again in Pai, Thailand. Currently, we are on two different continents, uh, Australia and North America but I'm really excited to chat with you and showcase you to the listeners. Um, so, Jill, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, well, I just thought, obviously, you know, I'm here in Australia, um, in Brisbane, uh, for anyone who's wondering. So whereabouts are you, Jill, for everyone? I am located right outside of Boston, Massachusetts, in the United States. Um, so before we like get into kind of you know the interview talking part I wanted to share a real bonding moment um, for us which was so right after we finished volunteering in Vientiane which is the capital of Laos for anyone who was wondering um, we were going to take an overnight bus up to Luang Prabang which if I remember correctly is supposed to be about 14 hours on the bus um, so we got to the bus station like an hour and a half or two hours before the bus was scheduled to leave. So that would allow enough time for us to secure tickets, theoretically. Um, we didn't realise that it was the New Year weekend for people in Vietnam. Oh, not Vietnam, in Laos. <laughs> um, uh, so we... I've totally lost my train of thought now. We waited in line for about <laughs> hours. Yeah. In the end, not get tickets. Yeah. So, uh, and it was not comfortable. We had our backpacks and everything. Um, so then instead of, um, you know, going back to the volunteer dorm, because we knew the next bus was going to be something at like 6 a.m., so we'd have to have gotten there at 4 a.m. So we decided that the best possible solution would be to sleep at the bus station which was an experience, um, let's say that. <laughs> it um, was not very comfortable. I don't know how much we actually slept, um, but <laughs> uh, and Jill reminded me before that there was also this guy that kept coming up to us and saying, like, do you want beer? Um, it was very And wanted us to go back to the, um, like the homestay he worked at. We were like, we're, we're good, thank you. We're happy to stay here. <laughs> and then, do you remember we nearly missed the bus in the morning? <laughs> yeah. The whole thing was funny. Oh my God, we went to get pizza. Oh, yes. And they were huge pizzas. They were. Oh like, my gosh. Yes. And that, that filled us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. So, so awesome. Now we're not allowed to travel. So <laughs> that's. Uh, that's all these memories are all we have. 
we're, we're waiting for when the world opens back up so we can see each other again. Yes, we were supposed to see each other this year. Um, <laughs> I, I know. I Yes, I was supposed to be heading over to America and I uh, was going to come see you in Boston. But um, yeah, that's obviously not happening right now. But um, yeah, let's get into, um, you know, these questions. I want to start basically... <laughs> At the beginning, do you want to tell me what your childhood was like? Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> such a broad question. I know. <laughs> so I was, well, all right. I'm from a family of five. It's me and I have two older brothers and my mom and dad. And I was born in Oklahoma, which I'm going to say it's kind of random. Yeah. Uh, born in Oklahoma. I was actually adopted. And so were both my brothers, which personally, I feel very blessed to have had that opportunity. Um, have definitely been very fortunate in my upbringing and have two incredible parents who tried their very best to support all three of us and whatnot. Um, yeah, so I was born, was the beginning. <laughs> And then went back to Massachusetts mm -hmm. with my family and don't really remember those yeah. that much. Um, the next really thing would be when I was five years old, I was diagnosed with Wilms tumor, a childhood mm -hmm. kidney cancer, which is obviously unfortunate. Yeah. Um, One way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was definitely lucky. Thankfully, Wilms tumor is a childhood cancer that's relatively, it's treatable, um, which is a beautiful thing in itself. Mm -hmm. Normally, the tumor is attached to one of your kidneys and they just remove your kidney. You can, you have two kidneys, you can live with one. Mm -hmm. um, my tumor had detached from my kidney and then erupted. So I was internally bleeding. Um, and we actually, my parents thought that I had food poisoning because I think we had gone to my brother's like lacrosse tournament that weekend and I was like eating vendor hot dogs and stuff like that. Um, so when I got sick and I started throwing up, it wasn't like, it did not surprise them after the weekend we had had. So prior uh, to that moment, did you not know that you had this wellness tumor? No. So yeah. I started throwing up and I think for probably two days. Mm -hmm. And then I, I have, I have memories of a few of these parts. Um, I'm sure that they have shifted a bit over time mm -hmm. and I probably do not remember it. Yeah. The exact <laughs> way it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but we, so I remember one night, probably after two days of throwing up, I went into my parents' room and I just had like, it felt like I was being stabbed in the stomach repeatedly. And I kept telling, like I woke my mom up, I think two times throughout that night. The first time, you know, like she, we grabbed a sleeping bag and I was sleeping on my parents' bedroom floor and it wasn't cutting it for me. I was in so much pain. 
Um, so I woke my mom up again and was like, mom, this isn't normal. Um, and obviously your five-year-old daughter saying, mom, this isn't normal. She wrapped me up in a blanket and tucked me in the back seat of the car and took me to the ER, um, where I have a memory of, I really, I just remember like laying naked on the table with a bunch of needles. Like I'm sure they were testing my blood in every which way they could to figure out what was wrong. I think that they thought that my appendix had bursted, mm -hmm. um, which you can also die from. Yeah. yeah. So they like put me in the back of an ambulance and rushed me into Boston, um, where I went to Children's Hospital in Boston. And my dad met us there. Um, and I'm pretty sure we went pretty much straight into surgery from there. I remember my dad telling me he walked into the room and they told him to give me a kiss and they took me. Um, so I think it was pretty abrupt. My parents had no idea what was going on when I went into surgery and definitely I can't, I mean, I can't even imagine what they had to go through with it. Um, hopefully I don't have to experience that as a parent. Um, would obviously not wish that on anybody. Yeah, I imagine it was probably a very scary experience for them, but also for you, just that would have been, and just remembering lying on a bed naked with needles, that's quite, and a, um, like just a very abrupt memory. Um, do you think that that has kind of affected you growing up, having that experience so young? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely really interesting. For years and years, I never necessarily considered it trauma. Mm -hmm. um, it was always like first day of school, share two things about yourself. I would always share I'm adopted and I had cancer because, <laughs> well, not too many other people could say the same thing. Probably more interesting than every other response, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that I, until like more recent years, had actually taken the time to think about it. I never considered it to be trauma. Um, and then like, as, as we'll get to a little bit later on in my story, I had to take some time to seriously think about it and like put all of these things together in my head of how many different ways it has affected me mm -hmm. and not only me but my entire family dynamic shifted because of the experience and how, was really yeah. how sorry how, uh, how would you say it changed I think like one of the biggest things that like one of the biggest ways it impacted me would be at five years old, I was sort of taught that I, my life depended on others. Mm -hmm. I had to have other people there to take care of me mm -hmm. because I, I would not have lived. Mm -hmm. I was probably like an hour away from dying when I went into surgery. Um, and just like, growing up knowing that and totally subconsciously um i yeah it was just reinforced of i was five years old 
can't take care of yourself at five years old anyways, Mm -hmm. but then having your life literally depend on other people um, is a very scary thing. And I think that that sort of got ingrained in my subconscious and it sort of like made our family dynamic a little bit toxic almost um, of it was probably really hard for my brothers because I had most of the attention Mm -hmm. and then it turned into I was hitting a certain age. I still needed, I still felt like I needed to be taken care of Mm -hmm. as well as my parents feeling the constant need to care for me and to take care of me. Mm-hmm. which is something I've been living with them during this quarantine. It's something we are still working on. <laughs> of, I'm, I am now a grown adult. Mm-hmm. I love you and I appreciate you, but I can take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And like working with that boundary. Yeah. Building that boundary. <laughs> and I think when you like went overseas, that must have been such a, um, like scary for them as well. Cause I think that, would have hopefully helped them kind of develop that sense that you are actually like able to be independent, but that would have been very scary for them. Wow. It was definitely, yes. Also scary was... for you too. <laughs> I was honestly, I think my dad was the most scared out of all of us. <laughs> um, yeah, they just have, I mean, worried. You know, they almost lost me once. They don't want to lose me again. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that that's difficult for any parent. Yeah. Watching their kid, like, when your kids first leave, and not that that was my first time leaving, but that was really traveling. Like, it was really one of, I think, actually, the first time in my life that I was going to be on the other side of the world. And mm-hmm. if I got myself into a situation where I was in trouble for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it would have been probably the first time in my life that my father could not have done something to help me. Yeah. It's you know, if you're so far away, you don't have the same resources there and mm-hmm. just be out of luck. Yeah. But I I trust myself to take care of myself and you meet amazing people like you along the way and you take care of each other and it all sort of works out in a beautifully messy way. And I think that's also like one of the attractions of traveling, I guess, is that it is, it can be so unknown and it can be really scary, but like once you do it, you know, you've done it and you know, you're proud of yourself and then you fall in love with it and just want to keep traveling. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, this not being able to travel sucks right now, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's that we'll get back into um how you how travel has changed you a bit later. Um, but did you want to continue on from where you know after you've had this operation? Um, and were you technically like cured after that? Is that yeah. So I spent, I think, three days in the ICU, um, which I don't remember Mm -hmm. whatsoever. 
um, (laughs) makes sense. (laughs) I spent a few more weeks in the hospital after that, which I do remember a little bit of because I was gifted lots of stuffed animals and got to eat popsicles with pretty much every meal. I love that. As a (laughs) five-year-old, I was excited about these things. Mm. Um, So that was definitely a plus. Mm -hmm. I uh, believe after that, I went into eight days of radiation in a row, um, which is a lot of radiation, um, especially for somebody my size and my age. Um, Yeah. So I did eight days of radiation in a row, and then that led to six months of chemotherapy, which I did from home. We were living in Hamilton, like 30, 30, 45 minutes outside of Boston. And mom and I would drive every Monday into Boston to Children's Hospital and Dana Farber and the Jimmy Fund, um, just sort of the organizations that helped a lot of childhood cancers. Awesome. Um, really dear organization. Um, my family is very grateful for um, we would go every Monday and I would have an appointment with Dr. Jill. I remember so well and she would like press really hard on my stomach and see where it hurt and all of that fun stuff. Uh, <laughs> I would get to do some arts and crafts and they would like put a little numbing cream over. I had a port. Um, that was another surgery that I had. So I had my like my big surgery. And then probably a few weeks later, I had a surgery to put my port in, which Mm -hmm. was sort of like under my left breastplate. Mm -hmm. Um, And they would put this like numbing cream over that area. And then sort of like a shot, I guess they would inject the medicine into the port, which was then connected to my heart which I actually, I didn't realize this for a long time. I did not know that it connected to my heart. When I found that out, I was like, whoa, that's kind of intense. Well, I mean, to be fair, you were like five when this happened. So, yeah. I've definitely like learned some things about the the whole experience since then. Yeah, and then after six months I stopped chemo the chemo was awful um I lost all my hair which was not the bad part I really it was whatever for me um of course everybody gifted me like hats and headbands and stuff like that I could not stand wearing them I was like whatever I'm bald like it's it's fine Right? I was like running around on the beach. I grew up running around on the beach. Like mm-hmm. I could not stand having something mm-hmm. covering my head, but I also could not stand having sunscreen put on the top of my head. No. Um, yeah. So I definitely, a bandana was a big thing for a few years there. Um, otherwise I would just get so burnt. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the chemo, the chemo made me really sick. Actually, I, there's this, and obviously I would have like CAT scans and MRIs and a whole bunch of different, um, like procedures like that. Um, 
and then I would have to drink this solution, this like clear solution, and they would mix it with anything to try to get me to drink it. They would mix it with orange juice, they would mix it with Sprite, with like any different type of juice or soda. They're giving me soda at five <laughs> to try to get me to drink this. And I would like chug the cup of it, I would throw it up. I couldn't sip it because it tasted so foul. Mm. I would throw it up every time and then I would have to drink it again because it had to stay in me. It's some solution that it like helps them see through you when they're doing these procedures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like you can't eat before these things either. Mm. I feel like kind I should of. know what that is, but I feel like I know it, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's okay. No idea. Mm. Uh, so that was the thing. And then I don't remember, but my mom said that pretty much every single Monday I would throw up in the car ride home, which I don't remember. So I guess it's more so just a bummer for her. Yeah. Very pleasant. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, I can't even imagine. It's so sad. Like looking in the back and seeing your daughter so sick. It's yeah. not, not a good thought. No. We are all stronger because of it. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, so I, if you want, we can jump ahead to kind of your teen years and when it really started affecting you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that both, I want to say both this and my adoption, like definitely – I wouldn't say caused anything, but definitely had impacted me in ways that I did not understand. Mm. Probably around the time I hit like 10 or 11, mm -hmm. I started to struggle with anxiety and depression. And did you know at the time that it was anxiety and depression? Not right away. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, at this point, when I was seven, we moved to Connecticut. So we were living in Connecticut at this point. And I have such a clear memory in seventh grade, looking around my math class mm -hmm. and just like looking at all of the other kids smiling and laughing. And I didn't resonate with that. Mm -hmm. It just, it wasn't something that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I sort of realized like, okay, everybody else doesn't seem to be feeling how I am feeling. Mm -hmm. So maybe this isn't right for me to be feeling this way. That's very uh, cool for grade seven. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I'm definitely an emotional being. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I would like to say that I have a decently high emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. However, at the same time, I did not understand a lot of my emotions and how to properly deal with them for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, so that happened. And then sort of like eighth grade and then into high school and high school was just kind of a mess. You know, at, at one point I, I grew up playing every sport you can name, mm -hmm. you know, just always did after school activities and stuff like that. And we're very involved. 
and I think my sophomore year of high school was the last year I played a sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was too much for me being on the, on a team and not feeling good enough. Yeah. And I really, it's, it's, it's strange to look back. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I still have all of my journals and my depression was way worse than I realize looking back on it. And then when I see some of the things that I had written at such a young age, it's honestly kind of shocking. And like realizing that those are some of the things that I was feeling when I was 12 years old. Uh, And then when I hit a certain age, it just, it engulfed me. Um, the depression I was definitely familiar with and could recognize the anxiety was a lot harder for me to put my finger on it sort of like it was the worst kind of weighted blanket at all times I did not really recognize what it was I I just didn't get it yeah <laughs> and I started panic attacks and all of this stuff and it was it was awful I mean being in high school and having panic attacks in school is not a good feeling but mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you have experienced that you are not alone because so many people go through it and I really wish that I knew how normal it was when it was happening, but it definitely it felt like I was alone in it. Yeah. And it was scary. I mean, I would, I would wake up and I'm such a perfectionist. I'm, I'm still working on this and I used to love school and I put so much pressure on myself to be perfect in school and if it's not going to be perfect then why even bother doing it all of this stuff and it just you know it got to the point I had no self-worth and did not understand how to love myself or even how I needed to be loved um and it's just sort of played out in a bunch of different ways in my life, whether that be my family, my relationships, friendships, romantic relationships. Um, it was a struggle. <laughs> yeah. It was. Well, I barely graduated high school, which was not due to grades. That was due to absences. I pretty much had enough absences that I did not have graduated with my class. Um, thank you. The principal of my high school was in a fraternity with my father and I had gotten to know him quite a bit for the few years and um, he definitely helped us out getting some like, I don't know what the word is, like some regulation kind of things written out for us so if I 
felt like I was going to have a panic attack, I would, I could get up and leave class without asking the teacher um, and stuff like that. He was really helpful with that. And then for probably the last like third of my senior year, I had a night school just kind of dropped out a little bit there so you attended night school can you hear me yeah yeah i attended night school because i had too many absences so it was either i go to night school Mm -hmm. or i would have had to have gone to summer school which if you know me I've spent the beach on, I've spent the summer on the beach every mm-hmm. year and I was not about to sit in school mm-hmm. over summer after my senior year of high school. Yeah. So I went to night school. Um, I actually really liked it. <laughs> I am not a morning person. Um, I would definitely not say that it compares ac- academics wise to mm-hmm. proper day school but it was a lot easier for me to get through, um, which was nice. And then graduated and was off to school in the fall. Uh, Very typical high school to college. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, is this like this in Australia? It's very, there's a lot of pressure for this in, in the states i think it's a it's a bigger deal in america i think it's a lot harder to get into college in america i think it's a lot more competitive um and also more upfront expensive too hmm. oh, yeah <laughs> um definitely extremely competitive mm-hmm. i must say at that point i was really just not, I was miserable. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. At that point, I was miserable. I had tried my like Christmas break, my senior year of high school, had a awful experience and tried to take my own life, mm-hmm. uh, which thankfully I was fine. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I was really, I was over everything and mm-hmm. I didn't know how to cope with my emotions. At that point, I had been getting stoned all day, every day for years. Um, And I really would just get high so I didn't have to deal with my problems. Um, And when it came to the whole college process, I had no interest in looking at schools. it was awful. I remember my mom and I did like one little road trip to look at schools and we would drive like, we would get onto the college campus and I'd be like, nope, nope. (laughs) I look back on it and it's, it was so rude of me. Mm -hmm. Like I I wouldn't even give it 30 seconds. I, we would get there and I'd be like, nope. (laughs) Um, But there was one school that I, got a good feeling when I went onto the campus. Mm-hmm. It is the only school that I applied to. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a safety school in is regards to the grades unusual? that I had. Um, so is it unusual to only apply to one college? Yes. Yeah. I would say so. Mm-hmm. 
there's definitely a range, but I would say majority of people apply to at least a few mm-hmm. uh, in the case that you don't get in. Yeah. Which I can tell you this, my parents were quite nervous. I wasn't going to get in. Um, I was not. <laughs> Actually, for the amount of anxiety I had, I was pretty confident about that one. <laughs> um, looking back on it now. But I did get in. I asked my parents if I could take the year off. And actually, I wanted to take a gap year and travel. And they were like, no way. <laughs> Is that happening? Um, so I went to school and it was just a shit show to put it simply. And I like was not going to any of my classes and was just miserable and having the hardest time. I, I made some incredible friends and I, I really enjoyed the school mm-hmm. and I loved the people mm-hmm. and I loved the area. It was up in Vermont. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything about me and at that point I had just developed such a disturbing amount of Mm self-hatred that nothing, nothing was going to cut it. And Mm -hmm. there was no place you could have put me that was going to make me feel any better. Um, at that point it was, it was all in me, Mm -hmm. which I, did not want to confront. Yeah. Um, Didn't want so to. I, yeah, yeah. Continued getting high. And this lasted one semester before my parents pulled me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they told me that year on over Christmas break, they told me that they thought that I needed to go away and get some help, mm-hmm. which I responded to by screaming into a pillow. (laughs) How did you feel? Like, what were you thinking when they said that to you? Like, what was kind of going through your head? I was so pissed off. Mm -hmm. Just pure, like, in that moment, pure anger. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took me, I guess this was probably, like, the last week in December, this was over Christmas. And then I ended up flying out on January 20th. Mm -hmm. So in less than a month, I had gone from being like, okay, F you, Mm -hmm. to, okay, we'll talk about it, to, okay, I'll go for you to maybe it's not a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. And did you um, feel like at that point you were going for them or was, did you realize you were going for you sort of thing or at that point? No way. <laughs> <laughs> it was still absolutely for them at that point. I felt like I had been guilted into it of mm-hmm. my actions were so hard on my parents and mm-hmm. I had honestly just been pretty brutal to them. Like I was a pain in the ass doesn't even begin to cover it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
my mom, the program. So I went to a program lasted three months and one week to the day Mm -hmm. out in Hawaii. It's called Mm -hmm. Pacific West. Um, my mom flew out there with me, um, half because I asked her to and the other half because they genuinely did not think I would get on the plane if somebody did not go with me. To be fair, Mm -hmm. there's a large chance I would not have gotten on the plane if somebody (laughs) did me. Yep. (laughs) Um, I am stubborn and resilient. (laughs) Yep. Um, So mom flew out with me and I got to the program and for the first two weeks, I cried every single day. I was so mad. We like didn't get any phone calls or any, Mm -hmm. anything at this point. It was all letters. So I couldn't even talk to my parents. And after two weeks of being there, I was like, okay, screw this. I'm signing myself out. Mm -hmm. I had like written my parents a letter asking if I could go somewhere else. And they were like, no, you picked here, you're staying there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really frustrated with the program. It was a horticulture therapy program. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically therapy through gardening and land work, which now sounds so amazing to me. <laughs> Um, in the space that I am in now, but the space that I was in then, it was the best way to explain it is imagine being so depressed and then being told to stick your hands in dirt. God and, feelings like. <laughs> and ask how it makes you feel. So how does that make you feel? And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> um, not only that, I, we like, I'm embarrassed to even say this. We had to do chores and that pissed me off. I was like, okay, my parents are paying a lot of money for me to be here and I'm doing chores. <laughs> um, which, you know what? Thank goodness. They taught me how to do chores. <laughs> There's a reason for all of it. Uh, anyways, I ended up signing myself out of the program. Mm-hmm. Walked around Hilo, Hawaii for two days wearing the clothes that I went there in, um, which were really kind of gross after flying 14 hours in and then walking around two days in and sweating in them. Yeah. Um, So that was a thing. I managed to get a cigarette and a joint from some old guy, Mm -hmm. which made me a little bit happier. Very Um, resourceful. (laughs) I'm sorry? Very resourceful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, The guide who was with me definitely did not know how to handle me. Well, poor poor girl, she tried. She was like, don't do that. And I looked at her and was like, okay, and proceeded. Um, <laughs> I think the, the second day I ended up like climbing a banyan tree. Mm-hmm. It's probably like maybe like 15 feet up. Mm-hmm. And 
just sort of sat there and was thinking. And I guess that would be when I sort of realized like, life doesn't have to be this hard. Mm -hmm. Like I'm making this harder for myself than it has to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I probably do need some help. So that was the start of a beautiful self-development journey, I guess. Wow. Uh, Lots of work in that program. So much therapy, so much group work, so much gardening. And, you know, I I had to teach land lessons Mm -hmm. of how certain things in gardening and things with the land work and just land in general, how it related to me and my life and healing. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was the first time I realized that my sickness when I was younger was trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually tried to tell my therapist there that it wasn't traumatic and she sat me down and looked me in the eyes and was like, no, you had cancer when you were five and almost died. That is traumatic for anyone. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not getting out of this one. Um, and from there, I sort of started to unravel the next layers of it. Mm-hmm. And it went so much deeper than I ever could have imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, like, I'm, I still work on some of these things. I'm actively working on myself at the moment, um, which is really beautiful. And it really, the, the power to heal ourselves is really incredible. When you, when you like allow yourself to have that courage to actually sit and face these traumas and face your downsides and the dark parts of yourself um, and allow yourself to really face them and be with them and then release them. I can imagine that would just be so scary having to kind of go into the darkest parts of yourself when, you know, you've been avoiding them, whether subconsciously or consciously avoiding them, you know, and then having to all of a sudden just face it. Pretty scary, you know. It was a lot. Um, it was a lot. I, I had letters from everyone in my family pretty much telling them, telling me how my actions had impacted each of them personally. Um, was My brother's was probably one of the hardest things I've ever read in my life. Um, not only that, we had to sit there and read it in front of a group. So not only was I facing my demons, but I was facing them in front of others, mm-hmm. um, which was something else I had to get through mm-hmm. of allowing myself to be vulnerable in front of others. Um, and all of this sort of came into play all over again. The next step, there are so many parts to that program. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, I was there three weeks or three months and one week. And then I wanted to go home. 
and of course they were like you're not going home uh, because my work was not done which once again this made me angry at the moment um looking back on it i am so grateful for it because mm -hmm. both these two things changed my life mm -hmm. uh, so I ended up going to another program out in Idaho, mm -hmm. um, which is west, west side of the country. It's right next to Washington State. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was an experience. <laughs> I, it's called a transitional program. The mm -hmm. one that I was in is called Echo Springs. And I basically had to live in a house with a bunch of other people with problems who were fingers crossed hopefully working on their problems as i was working on my problems and live together and coexist um there were lots of house meetings <laughs> it was <laughs> I definitely have lots of stories from both of these experiences of stuff that I saw, some of the behaviors I had personally. Um, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm sassy, but I'm not that sassy. Um, it, was, it was interesting. The program out in Idaho, I sort of had to figure out how to continue to work on myself um, a little more independently driven mm -hmm. and then you know the second phase of the program figure out how to work on myself and integrate that work into real life and how to live a functioning adult life was it very uh, stepping out of that bubble kind of you know after being in this program which, you know, is theoretically a nice, safe place. Was it scary then having to kind of be like, oh, <laughs> there's a real world I have to kind of integrate back into? I think that a lot of the aspects of it I was really excited for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, like, so the second phase of the program is when you sort of, like, go back into society. Mm -hmm. The first phase I was there for three and a half months and two and a half months out of the three months I was the only girl living with about nine boys mm. um, I had also slept with one of them <laughs> at the beginning of my time there which as you can imagine me nine boys I had slept with one of them. Um, I was the one who received all the backlash yep. from, from the housemates. Mm -hmm. um, staff were definitely more so on my side. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> uh, but I was also not treated very respectfully. Mm -hmm. Well, not also not treated very respectfully. I was not treated with... Mm -hmm very much respect mm -hmm. um, from a lot of the people in the house a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And it 
triggered me. I had to work through a lot of triggers. Um, biggest thing would have been sort of figuring out how to respond instead of react to -hmm. something and to really like take the time and think about how I want to respond and what I want it to look like, what I want to sound like and take a deep breath before I say it. Um, And then the next phase, I think like what you just asked, I think the biggest struggle for me with that, um, I did, um, I would say like at one point relationships were in there, but the biggest thing for me was definitely like social anxiety. This was, I have had anxiety most of my life. And at the same time, I always had friends. I like, yes, have had issues with my friends, but you know, like I, I, oh, I love connecting with other humans. I adore it and I thrive off of it. I also thrive off of being alone but I need that interaction and I think it was really hard because I was also sober Mm -hmm. for all of this time you know that was a big part of me going to the programs was that they didn't even know what was wrong with me before I left because I was smoking so much pot yeah (laughs) um so I had been sober and then was sort of integrating back into this community out in Idaho where right in the town, um, there's a community college that I took some courses at and college, right? Like I would say a lot of the people are not sober and a lot of the social events um, are around people drinking and- Yeah, a huge part of just like Western culture, I think just drinking. It's, it's abnormal and weird to not be drinking, especially at our age, you know, young, young 20s. Um, yeah. So that was definitely, at this point, I was like 19. Um, yeah, probably 19. And I spent pretty much my entire 19 year sober. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent, yeah, I spent probably like a year, year and a half sober, um, which I needed it and I'm grateful for it. And sometimes it was not so easy. Um, It was really hard for me meeting people. My classrooms were sort of like a lecture hall layout Um, so there wasn't any group work or anything like that. And then when I did make a friend, I then felt like I had to explain to them, like, no, you can't come over to my house because I I live in a house that I'm, I'm in a program and, you know, for (laughs) the other people's confidentiality, I can't have anybody in the house. Um, so that's a thing. I'm also sober and I also don't trust myself to 
be around these things and remain sober. Um, so yeah, like you want to grab some coffee? <laughs> oh wait, I don't drink coffee. I'm going to tell you these really deep things about me and then, yeah, let's just go hang out. <laughs> Basically, and I, I felt like I had to tell them, otherwise it felt like I was hiding myself, yeah. which I didn't want to do. And mm -hmm. I wanted to release shame behind having to get help and mm -hmm. all of that. And then, you know, that was really hard to do when I like just wanted some friends. Yeah. Uh, I wanted some friends outside of the house, the mm -hmm. house situation was not as horrendous as the first phase of the program. Mm -hmm. Definitely still struggles. Mm -hmm. um, turns out living with boys is actually a lot easier than living with girls. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, eventually I did move out of the house. I graduated the program um, and I ended up rooming with, my roommate was one of the guys Mm -hmm. And he was not, I did not do the first phase with him, but he came into the second phase when I was in the second phase. Um, and we lived together for about a year and it worked out awesome. His dog lived with us. Love him. Little chocolate lab gunner. Oh, so, so sweet. <laughs> Which I love. I got a little yeah. um, And at that point, I was a little bit more social and was branching out a bit. Um, so do you have any more questions? I'm just yeah. going on. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I was just going to say, um, and what, what got you from there to when you wanted to go travel? I had been wanting to travel for years and years at that point. Um, but had not clearly been in the place mentally mm -hmm. to do so. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really grateful that I waited until I did also because I was able to enjoy the travels for the travels. Yeah. And I would not have had the same perspective if I had done it years earlier. It, it just, it would have been a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and I adore the experience that I did have. So yeah. I'm really grateful. It was the perfect time. I'm, I met the perfect <laughs> like you. And yeah, it was, it was good. I think I had been, so I'd been living in that town for like a year and a half at that point and had worked as a barista for a year. And then that wasn't really serving me. Um, <laughs> serving. Sorry. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I liked it, but it didn't really offer me anything except for a paycheck and a quick conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, so from there I applied to be a habilitative staff support, mm -hmm. um, for children with intellectual disabilities, mm -hmm. which I loved. Um, I did that for about six months and that was incredible and definitely very rewarding, mm -hmm. um, and just loved like 
getting to be a part of their process and watching them grow was very beautiful. It's something that's just so special. Yeah. I know. You Mm. love it. Yes. And then sort of as soon as I had enough saved up, (laughs) honestly, Mm -hmm. I waited until I had about five grand Mm -hmm. and there was also a bad breakup. Yeah. Like I'm sure I probably cried to you over it on the trip. Did I not? I probably I, I believe you did, yes. <laughs> um well we are over that one, so that's good. <laughs> um, I would say travel is literally the best remedy for a breakup. I'm not gonna lie. Right. It's it's perfect. Mm. <laughs> it was good. I remember like, yeah, so the volunteering was the first thing and we broke up. He was actually, you know, this was, <laughs> this was the boy that I had had said relations with at the very beginning of that program. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was also in the program and also working on himself and going through a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, want to say that I was much more actively working on my issues than he was for a lot of them. We went through the entire program together. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to know each other very well. Yeah. Um, had definitely gotten into trouble with each other a little bit further into the program. <laughs> um, and then we were both out of the program and it was not a normal relationship and it was not healthy in whatsoever. I don't think we ever went on a proper date because Mm -hmm. he did not know how to do that. Um, and he spent all of his money on drugs. Mm -hmm. So he was supposed to be sober that entire time, wasn't sober. And then, you know, that was difficult with my sobriety and, all of all of this stuff. I'm not still sober, just to clarify, but I I do manage it very well. well. That's actually something I found kind of interesting when you said that. What what makes you feel confident? When did you feel confident that you would be able to, you know, drink um, or whatever and not go back to where you were, sort of thing? There was a certain point in there was a certain point when I was out in Idaho that hmm, (laughs) I think that I wasn't a hundred percent confident, but there was a point when I was out in Idaho that I, you know, it was winter and was getting cold, colder and darker and less sunshine And I started not feeling so great again. And I remember going and talking to one of the staff and was really nervous of, oh my gosh, like, am I going to be depressed again? Mm -hmm. Like I've I've been feeling good, but now I'm not feeling so good. Mm -hmm. So what does this mean for me? Um, And he said something that I think will stick with me for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. which was, 
you simply know too much now to ever go back to where you once were. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so true. I just, I've learned too much about myself and my worth. You know, I, I believe too strongly that I am worthy that even on my darkest days now, um, that I still deserve to be here and I deserve love and all of, all of that stuff, um, deserve to give love to myself. And I think like with substances, that was my biggest thing was I used them to cope. Mm -hmm. Um, so having that like strong sense of worth and self-love that you don't really need them to cope because you have yourself to cope, Mm -hmm. you know, now I I can sit with my discomfort Mm -hmm. and I, I'm consciously able to make the choice of, wow, I just had a really bad day and I'm really upset, but I'm going to sit here and journal about why I'm upset Mm. opposed to going out and getting hammered. Yeah. That's kind of beautiful. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a journey. Um, I will say a lot of the people I lived with are addicts Mm. and addiction is a very, it's an illness. Mm. Addiction is an illness and it's one I'm quite familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's scary and it's sad. Um, and oftentimes will control you unless you learn to control it. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was definitely scary going back into that world of mm-hmm. like not being completely positive that it would work for me. Mm-hmm. But I think where my assurance was, was that I was positive regardless if it worked or not for me, that I could pull myself out of it. That's, that's really strong. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I might ask, um, so on your Instagram, which by the way, for everyone listening, um, is, uh, soles of your feet. Um, I'll put it in the, um, notes at the, on the episode, but, um, you've recently made the decision to be very open about your mental health on your Instagram. Um, and it is obviously a very personal topic. Um, but what kind of inspired you to start speaking about it so publicly, publicly? Hmm. I, it's really kind of a beautiful thing because I think that it helps me hold myself accountable more than people realize. (laughs) Uh, I have such a strong desire to show up for others and serve others, Um, but I have to serve myself in order to do that. And I have to continue my own personal growth so that I can help others assist in their process. Um, I know that I, for so many years, felt so alone Mm -hmm. with everything that I was going through. And I also know from talking to so many different kinds of people that 
not for one second was I ever alone in what I was feeling. And there are millions and billions of people on this planet and too many of them feel these feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that a lot of people do not realize that there's a choice behind it. Um, Obviously, I understand mental illness is real and that's something I'm, I'm still struggling to figure out of, you know, regardless of how much work I do, like I, and maybe I just struggle with mental illness and depression will come up for me the rest of my life. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that when I have a dark thought, I can make the conscious decision to choose another one. And that's a choice I know I did not realize that I had for quite some time. And I remember somebody telling me when I was in high school, they said, happiness is a choice. And I was like, how dare you say that? If happiness was a choice, like I would be happy right now and all of this stuff. And it's like, okay, but as soon as you realize that you're the issue, and you stop blaming everything else around you, that's when the real shift starts. Um, Obviously, my business, I started an online business. Um, I'm a part of this beautiful community online of entrepreneurs um, where we all just we all value a positive mindset and mindset is huge. It's so big. Um, We really value that and we all value connection and we sort of bounce off of each other. Um, We're all affiliated with the same company and we use that to spread what I believe to be such a powerful message that truthfully has the power to change so many people's lives. And we like to call it self-development with a compensation plan attached. (laughs) Um, Because as I am figuring out throughout the journey of entrepreneurship, you have to challenge yourself in a lot of ways and much more than people may realize you have to grow as a person mm-hmm. uh, in order to find success in that. Yeah. So I share the business opportunity for one, which mm-hmm. is the healthiest water, <laughs> the most healing water. Which I can see you've been sipping at this whole time. (laughs) I have. I have it right next to me always. (laughs) Um, Which I absolutely adore. And then it's beautiful. Like people can take it in whatever direction they want um, and really make it their own. And I think like a lot of people really use it as a catalyst to pursue whatever their passion may be. And I'm still sort of figuring out which way I want to take it. Um, What I do know is I really, joy is a big thing for me Mm -hmm. of 
being able to find joy in the little things and feel joy every day. Um, and that's something that too many people lack. And mm-hmm. those same people are so very capable of making it happen for themselves. Um, and that's something I would really like to assist people in making the shift in their life. Change is scary, but it's so necessary unless you want to stay exactly where you are right now for the rest of your life. You have to change. Yeah. And I think it is so essential to not only not only ourselves, but on a global scale and in terms of you know, we have to evolve altogether. Yeah. And for there to be any progress on the planet, we all need to evolve personally. Um, it starts with you. Yeah. Yeah. It starts with you. And there's a whole lot of use. Yeah. Yeah. In the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> um, I might finish with two final questions. Uh, first of all, um, and I feel like you kind of already just kind of mentioned it, but what is your idea of success? This one's easy for me. <laughs> I think that if you are truly happy, mm. like that's success. Mm. You know, obviously people, people search for money. Um nowadays and that's where far too many people's focus lies mm-hmm. and personally I spent far too many years of my life so far feeling miserable and it's just not worth it to engage in behaviors or activities or jobs mm-hmm. that are going to make me miserable so if something isn't making me happy I'm going to look at it and be like, is this something I have to do or I'm choosing to do this? And can I choose something else? Mm. Um, And making those choices to get to happiness, I think really is that says success to me. I love that. Amazing. And staying for yourself. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> okay. And then my final question, it's a bit less serious. Um, <laughs> if your life was to be made into a movie, who would you want to play you? Whoa. <laughs> that was less serious. <laughs> I thought it'd be a bit of a laugh, but <laughs> I would say um, I would love Margot Robbie to play me in a movie know who that is you have I to look her up <laughs> so basic saying this but Miley <laughs> no but she she'd be great I, I, see, that. I, love, I see that I love Miley <laughs> yeah. she, she had a troubled past she'd fit right in she'd get it yeah I love that <laughs> okay well we might have to wrap it up here um Thank you so much, first of all, for not only being my very first guest, um, for also pushing me to be here in this moment. And also, you're so amazing. You're so talented and intelligent. Um, and I love you. Thank you for 
doing this. <laughs> I love you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and could obviously talk for days. Yes. <laughs> but we'll talk more. But I'm really, I'm really proud of you. And everybody who's listening, keep listening because Beck is awesome. <laughs> Go and travel so you meet people like her. Yes, traveling is the best. We'll always recommend when it's safe. <laughs> yeah, literally. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to the very first episode of the Powerful People podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and enjoyed listening to Jill's story as much as I did. To keep up to date with episode developments, you can follow Powerful People Podcast on Instagram. Or if you'd like to follow the amazing Jillian, her Instagram handle is at Souls of Your Feet. If you have any questions regarding the episode, you can contact either of us on Instagram or you can email powerfulpeople underscore podcast at hotmail.com. Thanks again for listening and keep an eye out on Instagram for the announcement of my next guest. See you later, guys.